0: everybody y'all good okay I'm pulling it together now (sighs) who loves Jesus You know, um, I'm going to introduce a new series, but before I do that, I just want you to open up to um, Deuteronomy chapter 29 with me. Um, we have kind of a, a long introduction this morning that we're going to go through um, on purpose because we're going to lay a whole bunch of foundation. Do you know that the greatest attack against what the Lord's doing in us, in the body of Christ, in, in a day just like this, in this day, is, is an attack on reality. Um, if we can't, and that's always been the attack, is that right? I mean, it's always started with with just a false word, the enemy coming into the garden and reckoning what the Lord had done through deception, right? So if we can have a, if, if there can be a false reality um, that's created among us, then we can even be thinking we're doing good things. We can be thinking we're cooperating with the Lord, and the truth is it's just really, it can be a lot of striving into the flesh. You all following me? You've had seasons like this of your life. Um, it's mo- I just described most of my life, just to be really transparent. I've had a lot more of that than I've had extraordinarily spirit-filled fruit, and that has nothing to do with God <laughs> and everything to me everything to do with me growing into who God's bringing me into the carrier of the kingdom he's planned right? Um, I'm just going to start reading here. I want to give you a job in Deuteronomy 29 this this is your goal. I want you to um, to listen for the scripture that pops out of you that just really f- feels like it's out of place. Now oftentimes you do that exercise, and it would be individual to everyone, but I have a feeling we're, you're all going to see the same one. You're looking for the scripture that's just like, why is that there? It just looks like it got misplaced. So I'm starting in uh, 29, 23, and it says, The whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Admah, and Boaim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know, And that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation, and cast them into another land as it is to this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Actually, I'm just going to go ahead and stop. Um, How many of you all noticed that last verse I read um, just appears incredibly out of place? Um, I guess I kind of ruined that game or (laughs) (laughs) that task but um, I want you to see so this is um, this is a passage confronting the nation of Israel um, his chosen people in other words those who are chosen to carry his glory for this world it's confronting them and it's, it's explaining why they are where they are now I also want to draw you just look at again one more time quickly with me verse 24 all nations would say and it says and this is what all nations would say. Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? So you see, it's, it's setting a stage, and I'm, and this is taking us somewhere, so follow me. It's setting a stage where the word of God is recording a place where where they had gone as the people who are supposed to carry the glory has the other land saying, um, why has the Lord done this to them? And then... And then um, now go back to 29 with me, if you're in your Bibles. It's, here it says, now listen to this. There are three parts to this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now listen to me. How many of you know, I mean, I know that you know, God's, um, God's thoughts are higher than yours. His, his plan is, is higher, and, and he's a God of mysteries. Are you following me? All through the word of God, you cannot come away from this thinking. You have a God that you can get a handle on. Why? Because he's designed it that way. Um, many places in the New Testament, in, in the New Covenant writings part of this Bible, it'll say that he is the God who reveals mysteries to those that are chosen. Mysteries, okay? Secret things. And here, what does this say? Verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Now I want you to get something that's ownership. Are you following me? In other words, he is responsible for for the secret things that are not yet revealed to you. Okay, And he has to be, right? How could you possibly be responsible for the secret things of God? You don't yet even have the privilege of knowing them. And I want to tell you something. For eternity, you are, you are with an amazing God that for eternity, he's going to have secret things. Not just in this age. Um, do you know there are things that you don't know? You don't know everything. Raise your hand if you know everything. <laughs> Raise your hand if you think you do. No, I'm kidding. No, don't do that. Um, Secret things, mysteries, okay? He's a God of mysteries. And what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that um, it it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. How many people know this? And it's the glory of kings to seek it out and he's a god who has mysterious things that are all the blessing of the kingdom and it's it's his glory to conceal it because he's looking for seekers he's looking for people who are willing to disciple their way and that's what we're going to talk about this morning disciple their way into the powerful things of god Okay? Not a welfare God, not a handout God. Those who are so drawn in love relationship that the secret things of God become yours. And I meant to say that, become yours, because look, the second part says, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So how many of you have, have some things revealed Let's try that again. No, let me do it this way. Now listen, um, you, I'm going st- to tell every one of you, you have things that have been revealed. You know how I know that? There's only one way you come into the sonship of God, and it's the Father draws. And if you've ever said to yourself, well, I don't hear from God, you've ever uttered those, those crazy, horrible words, I want to tell you something. Yes, you do, or you wouldn't be sitting here. Or you wouldn't even have the slightest hunger or inclination to be Jesus's because the Word of God tells us how it works. Only if drawn by the Father do you come to Jesus. Do you know what that means? You heard him. <laughs> you had to. You heard the drawing and you responded to it. That's the only way it works. So you have something. And I'd like to say you probably have great wealth. You probably have things revealed, you know, we're all in different places in our walk with him, and we're all going together, and it's designed that way. But this says, but those things which are revealed, those that are revealed, belong to us and to our children forever. Now listen to me, that's an ownership word, just as much as the secret things belong to him, the revealed things belong to you. He means for it to be that way. Do you know why it has to be that way? You have to have ownership. It's because he's making stewards. You have something to steward, and you can only steward what you have. And please don't miss it. This is his delight in you. This is how crazy he is about you. It's so easy to miss that. In other words, he's the God who has secret things, mysteries of the kingdom of his creation that he is revealing to those that are chosen because he wants it to belong to you. He delights in you that much. If that doesn't make you feel honored, you should go have your pulse checked at the doctor. That we may do all the words of the of this law. Now listen to me, if there's one thing um, the entire old covenant writings here tell us, is that we cannot do all the words of the law. So what's going on here? God has prepared a time, and we're gonna start to look at this. He's prepared a time when his spirit would be poured out on all flesh. That's your time, so that the revealed things, what's the greatest revelation of everything? Himself. (laughs) The sacrifice that makes us into a chosen people that can do all the words of the law because one, we're covered in the blood of Jesus and second, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So as you stand before the Father, even in your failures, you have fulfilled all the words of the law because all he sees is the blood. And then even in word and deed, we're growing into creatures that can do all, all the words of the covenant because it is the spirit life living in us. That's privilege. That's your destiny. Okay? <clears throat> Get some of this out of my way. I'm one-handed here. Okay. Okay, go to Psalm 115 with me. I want to show you the same pattern, and this has taken us somewhere. Okay, this is a prayer of David. And you're going to see the same thing here. It says, um, I'll let you finish turning. If the youth were in here, they would already be there on their phones, and we could have moved on already. Now, oh, well, you're kind of youthful. That's the thing. You're kind of you're like them. We're going to talk about entry to the kingdom, only like a child, like you. <laughs> Thank you. 115. I'm just going to start reading. Now, I'm gonna, I got to tell you, I'm going to skip through this. I am not going to read this whole, at least I don't think, I'm going to read this whole psalm because I have so many things blazing on my heart. I'm going to make sure we have time. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. You can hear the heart of David here. It says, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Now listen, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Now listen to you, how many of you consider yourself a Gentile? okay. Let's correct the record, and that's fine. It's it, that wasn't a do. Du- I didn't just dupe you, those of you who raised your hand. I get. It. I totally expected that, and I'm going to tell you what this is saying. Okay, um, this is saying because this is saying. Why should the Gentiles say? So where is their God? Now listen to me. The greatest one of the greatest things we get wrong is we think that we're of the Gentiles. And um, when you become a disciple of Jesus, you are no longer a Gentile. I'm going to prove it to you right here in this psalm. You have, the word of God is very clear in the book of Hebrews and other places. You are grafted into Israel, <laughs> period. If you're not grafted in, you're not in. And so you cease to be a Gentile at that point. You have now become one of the chosen people only through Jesus making a road. A nar- We're going to talk about this, but get this now. Through a narrow gate. Why is the gate narrow? Because it's Jesus. He's the only gate. He's the only door to the sheepfold to be grafted into Israel. That's the only way. Now, how can I prove that? Read on with me in verse 4. It says, Um, Speaking of those Gentiles, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. I'm going to stop reading because you got it. In other words, listen, is that a description of you as a disciple of Jesus? No, it's a description of someone who's not grafted in. Are you following me? So the Gentiles here are not you. And that's important to understand because I want you to see, um, I'm going to skip a little bit to verse 9 and 10, and I'll show you, this is like a two-verse summary of the whole last series we went through for a month. Okay? Because it says, here you hear, David, a man who has experience with God, encounters with God. He doesn't have a concept of God. If this is sounding strange to you, then you've been asleep for the last month. (laughs) So nod like you know what we're talking about. Um, Verse 9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Do you notice it says, he is. It doesn't say he does the things necessary in order to make sure they have the help they need. It doesn't say he does what's necessary. He does the stuff needed in order to make a shield. It says he is. So this is someone who's acquainted with God in that way. O house of Aaron. Now I want you to know, do you know that that's you? The new covenant changed everything, and you all know this, to the priesthood of all believers. So when it says, O house of Aaron, it's saying you <laughs> who steward the Holy of Holies, who, who steward the Spirit of the living God as a temple who holds him? You are the priests that have God this way. Are you following me? Now, don't forget that this psalm started with why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? And I want you to go to the end now. Look at verse 16 says, um, and here, notice the pattern. The heaven, even the heavens, let me explain that so you don't get tripped up. You know, the word of God's pretty clear. It describes something that, um, that we don't really understand or have a handle on, or maybe you do, and if you do, let's talk later because I'd love to know more about it, but there are levels to the heavens, okay? We know that. There are levels, in other words, levels to the spiritual realm. We know that there are levels that there is warfare going on in, Okay, there are also levels where there is no warfare going on in that. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the courts of heaven, in that highest of highest levels, there's no warfare there. In fact, what we're doing as the physical beings that call the spirit... The spiritual things into this place we are calling from that realm where there is no warfare, there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no calamity, there's nothing against God. We're calling it into this realm. That's our that's our privilege, our role, that's what we steward. So this is saying, but now listen to this, verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, or the are the Lord's. Sound familiar? There's a possession there. There's a responsibility. It's not you. It's not yours. (laughs) The heavens are not yours. And you can't be responsible for them. Now listen, it says, but the earth he's given to the children of men. Doesn't that sound like the same thing? The secret things Belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed, in other words, those things that he gives to those that he delights in, the chosen ones who are to call from the spiritual realm into this realm, dominion, the dominion of God into this realm, he's given that to man. Now I'm going to tell you what we're going to study, okay, Um, for weeks and weeks moving forward. I don't know how many. It's so important you start here because if you think you're just um, someone that that has come into the kingdom of God um, without a destiny, without a powerful calling in it, then it doesn't even make any sense to go where we're going for the next several weeks because it's going to be challenging i'm telling you i am already challenged just preparing it's going to be painful what we're going to look at is going into a depth in jesus one thing the lord told me about three years well really when i started in this role is he said we're getting ready for what's coming and i know i've told you all about this before probably several times what's coming and i said lord what's coming no answer (laughs) And I was, okay, Lord, so I'm preparing people for something that's coming, but you're not revealing to me what's coming. And so what's the next question? The next question was how do we prepare for what's coming? And it's really he's given me two things. Unity in the body of Christ is non-negotiable. And that's not what we're teaching coming up, but that was the first thing he gave me, and we've had series on that. He's going to make sure that his body—he is unity. He's going to make sure that his body is in unity. And if you're not part of that, I have a warning for you: woe to you, because it's not going to work out much longer. Why are there dissensions among you? Uh-oh, I'm starting to teach about that, and that's not where we're going. Um, the other one is deeper. He said, "Want to prepare? You want to participate in the preparation of my bride? Go deeper in me, deeper in me." deeper in me. Now look, here's um, here's what we're going to look at in the weeks ahead, okay? Um, we are called. Do you know that you're not called just to be saved? <laughs> I mean, good for you. Congratulations. I'm serious. I'm so happy about that, and I think we're going to talk about that some more this morning, but you're, you're saved for something. You're saved for purpose, and um, and you are called, you know what you're called to? You're called to be a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> okay? What is, the Great Commission says, go make disciples. Unfortunately, I think there's a, there's a large extent we don't even know what that means. We don't do a very good job of knowing what that means. Um, and I think that we often, um, we do two things. We miss, and we misunderstand Jesus on a regular basis. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to either this morning or as we move through the weeks ahead, I'm going to tell you why that happens. It happens because we bring preconceptions about who he is. We bring preconceptions about his ways. And when he doesn't align with those, we write it off as not him. Are you following me? And we either entirely miss him, because we wrote it off entirely, even as a saved person, or we misunderstand him so badly that it doesn't lead us to the deeper. (laughs) Uh oh, you guys are really quiet. (laughs) Is anybody relating? with what I just said? You've had those seasons in your life where all of a sudden you find out, oh, that was you all along? Man, I didn't even think that was anything like you, Jesus. <laughs> they told me about you in Sunday school and that was not it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, the scriptures are loaded with will the real Jesus please stand up or will you please let him into your life? Do you know that... Um, Actually, let's, let's read something. Okay, now that was the warm-up. Now we're at the real word. Luke 18. You know, I want to tell you one more thing. Do you know um, that why, partly why we don't understand discipleship? We have a really hard time understanding discipleship anymore. It's because we don't have it in our culture. It's it's non-existent. It's not here anymore. What they did and what Jesus talked about and what he did with his disciples, we don't do. <laughs> for them, do you know that um, for at least for the males, but in their in their society, you would reach and not for everyone, but at least for those who were who were well-to-do or whatever in their culture, who had who had comfortable enough lives, you would reach a season in your life where you would seek out a rabbi and the idea was you would you would virtually for you know for at least a season and for at least several years you would um you would sacrifice all the other stuff in your life you would decide that it was not a priority enough and and what you would do is it wasn't like so like the greatest metaphor in our culture would be college (laughs) and it would be a great privilege if you're accepted to the very best college right the honor and the privilege of having the, the very best rabbi is how it was in their culture. And they didn't just do like, we're going to do How to Love Your Neighbor at 9 in the morning, and then we're going to have another class you know, after lunch. We're going to do How to Make Proper Sacrifices after lunch class. And that's not how it worked. The way that they did it was you, you followed literally uh, 24-7, you ate with, you slept with, because the whole thing was like you, you were not trying to learn something from them. You were trying to become exactly like them. And the only way you could do that was watch everything, follow them everywhere, enter into every invitation they gave you, eat, sleep, drink this. That's discipleship. And it, to them, it was the greatest privilege. Now, I want to tell you something. We need to restore the awe of our calling. We're a culture that has lost the awe and the privilege of the one and only rabbi calling your name. Read with me in Luke uh, 18, verse uh, 15. Then they, they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they. <coughs> I'm going to try that again. <coughs> then they also brought infants to him that, that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, They rebuked them, but Jesus called called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, I'm going to clear up some of the greatest misunderstandings we have about kingdom entry, kingdom advancement, and being a disciple of Jesus. One thing we do with this scripture is we think that this is a description of the entire Christian life. And that's a wrong interpretation. You can just tell when you meditate on the words. This is the entry. This is receiving the kingdom. Okay? This is the narrow gate. Yeah, I'm not going to go read them scriptures, but you all know the scriptures that, that it is the narrow road. Why is it narrow? Because only by one. Only by Jesus you receive or enter this kingdom. It's the narrow, the narrow gate, right? Why is it narrow? Only by one. But now listen, what we do is we think, we think we have legalistic thinking, and we think that what that's saying is that the entire kingdom road is a narrow road where you never leave the narrow gate. <laughs> and, and I'm going to show you, at least before this series is over, I'm going to show you it's a misperception that, that kind of wrecks everything. Because Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the invitation. He's the only way in. It's the only receiving of the kingdom, and there's only one way you can do it. Like a child. Childlike faith. There's no amount of apologetics that has ever successfully brought someone into the kingdom. It might have been part of their approach to the gate or something, I suppose. But ultimately, it will always be the voice of the Father drawing them, as the Word of God says, and Jesus being the gate, the grace, the finished work that lets them in. This is the description of kingdom entry. Notice its identity as a child. You only enter the kingdom as a child of God. There's no such thing as someone in the kingdom who's not a child of the Father. And Jesus, um, not the Sunday school one you heard about, but the real Jesus had harsh words for those who, what, followed another father. For the religious leaders of the time, he says, you follow what your father says. See, those that enter through the narrow gate are those that hear the voice of the Father, and they're following the voice of Father God through Jesus, right into the kingdom. But now let me tell you something. Once through the gate, it's a broad, wide place. It is not a narrow gate after you're in. Jesus is the gate, and when you're in as a disciple of Jesus, he's going to lead you all kinds of crazy places. Those who sit in the gate, do you know that you can be saved and not be a disciple? You can call me a heretic later and throw things at me if you want part of my job to let you throw things at me but I'm telling you we have a we have a pandemic in the church and it's a pandemic of saved people who are not living the lives of a disciple this entire series that we're heading into now is going to be an invitation to deepen your discipleship does anybody want that to become someone that wants to so closely follow Jesus that your eyes are on him and you're not misunderstanding and missing him because your preconceptions about who he is makes you write it off and go, well, that can't possibly be Jesus. (laughs) Yes, it is. Okay? (laughs) That's the word for this morning. Yes, it is. (laughs) He delights in you so much that he's orchestrating the circumstances of your life and he's in them. He's the master rabbi calling you to be the honored disciple. And he's frustrated because we miss it. In my times of prayer this week, I've I've felt, he's allowed me to feel the very frustration of his heart over a church of people sitting in the gate. I made it in, I'm good, I'm saved. We're sitting in the gate and we're watching Jesus go off into a broad land of, of fruit and power and world changing of destinies and callings for the advancement of the kingdom. And, and we have saved people that are not living lives of a disciple, a, dis, a kind of discipleship that releases you as an agent of the kingdom of God. See, because contrast it with this. Go very briefly to Matthew eleven, eleven with me. Here's the opposite, right? You receive the kingdom as, as a child. But what? These are words of Jesus, too. And what does this say? Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, we're going to read on, but why does it say that? Isn't that strange? Because, right, right. That's just it. So so listen what that's saying. All the way up to John the Baptist, it had not been the new covenant culture where the Spirit is poured out on all and you're actually kingdom carriers. You're actually in the kingdom. So you just have to recognize if you want reality, this is a reality statement. The least in the kingdom, the least of those that has received the Spirit of God is greater than all previous. And that... (laughs) (laughs) That excited a couple people. That's good. And then verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now. Now listen. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So which is it? Do we receive the kingdom like a child or do we advance it violently by force? Yes. I want to tell you that first scripture is the receiving. It's the entry of the kingdom. It's the narrow road, the narrow gate, but then we get into a broad landscape of warfare where disciples follow the real Jesus, (laughs) not the preconceptions we bring of him, but a deep abiding relationship with, with him where he takes you to the craziest places you never expected. And his ways depart from your preconceptions like you would never have expected. It's a crazy, wild, broad place full of violence. Why is it full of violence? There's an enemy of the kingdom. Why do violent men advance it? Because there's violence. Do you know that the word um, violent is really not the way we use it? It's a word that just simply means force against, or there are forces against. Once through the gate... (laughs) and you begin to to grow, you begin to become a disciple of Jesus, you are instantaneously in a place where there's forces against your destinies, your callings, and the advancement of the kingdom of God. And it is those who bring force right back at you. And the violent, or the same word there, right? So the forceful take it by force. That's discipleship. Now I'm gonna. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be a long. Se- We're gonna do this series for about six months. <laughs> now I want to show you something. Put a good seatbelt on and keep your elbows inside the vehicle. On this one, you're gonna be familiar with this story, and um, this is returning back to um, Luke 18. And we're just going to verse 18. Now, and we're going to read a story of Jesus interacting with with someone. And I'm going to show you some things that um, some of you are probably light years ahead of me. But um, in my meditation this week, the Lord just blew me away with this, the story I've known all my life. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. that is God now d- d- um you know Jesus knew he was God, right? Yeah. So why is he talking like that? first of all I'm just I'm just going to put out there so we don't get stuck there. I'm just going to say he um he doesn't he knows this guy doesn't know. <laughs> So he's going, why are you calling me good? And, and he's saying, you know, if God is good, I'm sure Jesus is thinking, and, and the Father is so good to me, he has revealed to me that I, I am the Son, I am, I am God, and, and so I'm good, but if you're going to say I'm good, we're going to have to get this right. Jesus was not someone who was real hip on inaccuracy and things. He was, if we're going to say stuff, we're going to make sure that this is true. He was kind of big on truth being truth himself. He was kind of big on it. (laughs) What would you say I should say? (laughs) Verse 20, it goes on, he says, um, this is Jesus' words to him. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the man said, all these things I've kept from my youth. What's he doing? He's going, sweet, I knew I was doing a good job, right? He's going, I've got, it. I've got all the check boxes of religion. Isn't it funny that that's where Jesus started with him? I'm going to tell you something. This is, you're reading the real Jesus here, not a preconception. So let's notice the first thing is Jesus starts where he's at. God sees the heart. He knows where you're at. He knows what you can hear and what is way out beyond you. So he starts here. He's starting where this, I'm suggesting he's starting where this guy is at. And it it goes on, verse 22, so when Jesus heard these things, now this is where, before I even read on, this is where Jesus is probably going, awesome, so you got it then, huh? Right, that's, (laughs) And he said to him, you still lack one thing. He says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Okay, Lord, help me do this well. Now listen, this this passage is not about the necessity of every Christian to sell everything you have. <laughs> I've heard far too many teachings that, that want to look at the surface and paint it like that. Now listen, if God tells you to sell everything you have, I highly recommend you do it. Because probably it's all going to get <laughs> it's going to get taken away anyway if you don't do the obedience. I mean really, if he tells you to sell everything, just do it. I just want to show you something else. <laughs> you know this truth? <laughs> You see, here's the thing. Where does it end? It ends with "Come follow me." Do you guys want a really complex definition for discipleship? <laughs> Come follow me. Now, listen to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna return right here in a second. But I don't know what it was about Jesus where he could walk to people that were doing their their daily job, their career, and he could walk up and go, come follow me, and the word of God records, like in right in the beginning, first gospel of Mark, and it says, and they immediately followed him. And then the next group, they immediately left their father mending the nets, their jobs, and followed him. The spirit, you see, they heard the call of the Father, they were drawn by the Father to Jesus, and they, they entered the gate, but what? They didn't sit at the gate. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're reading a story right now of this, of this ruler, this rich guy is really what that means, who, who entered the gate, but he, he didn't do what the disciples do. He didn't immediately drop everything. He didn't follow. He's someone who had a faith in who this Jesus is. Do you recognize that? He does have a faith. Because he's going to him as one who could answer his question with authority. Why else would the guy be saying, what must I do? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He does have a belief. (laughs) But the story ends at, come follow me. Come be my disciple. Please notice Jesus didn't start there. He started with, with this guy. He started with the good checkboxes of a good religious person. Why? That's where the guy was at. And then he says, um, You still lack one thing. One thing. I think we have, a, we have a real pandemic in the church of lacking the one thing. What's the one thing? Follow me, be a disciple. The entire call is to make a disciple. And a disciple is someone who values. Why does it say, why is it recorded by the brilliance of the Spirit of God in this passage to say, um, to say you still lack one thing, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor? Because it's just illustrating the, the set of priorities, the set of values that he had. We know at the end of this story, it says, but when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now listen to me. All of us have something. For you, it's probably not money, or maybe it is. Or I, I don't know what it is for you. And the Spirit will have to deal there. But I'm telling you, we all have barriers that make us saved people that are not living the blessing of discipleship, that make us go away sad instead of move into discipleship where there is no other higher priority than going wherever the heck Jesus is taking me. No matter how terrifying, no matter what I have to let go, (laughs) the most blessed place is wherever Jesus is taking me. Do you know what we would do with this guy? (laughs) I think, generally speaking, we would say, do you have time for a cup of coffee? Because, you know, what? Because we would be looking to be a good Christian, we would be looking to persuade them or press them into making a very committed decision to be making like a discipleship decision with Jesus, wouldn't we? You might note that Jesus doesn't take that approach. Jesus knew at the start of the conversation where the guy's heart was, and the guy went off sad, and Jesus let him. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe g- God is just as in love. Jesus was just as in, as in love with this man, as he is with the people you, with you, and the people you come in contact with. I don't think God is finished with this guy. I'm just telling you, at this moment, in this encounter, the guy went off sad, and that was okay with Jesus, because I want to tell you, the real Jesus, so here you go, here's, here's number one in this series. You ready for it? Got pens and notebooks? <laughs> Jesus purposely leads us into crisis. He's not a persuader that wants to get you to make a cheap decision where you can keep all your stuff with you and enjoy all that blessing of discipleship, that intimacy with him, that following the Savior. He, The real Jesus... The one who's crazy about you and who is very much alive purposely leads people into crisis, and he just did it with this man. You see, listen to me. We live in a culture where we think if things start to go bad, God's closing the door. That's heresy. (laughs) We just read about the violence against the kingdom of God the force against the kingdom of God. It will never be more powerful than than the power of the spirit in a believer exercising their dominion over the earth. That's not going to happen, but as as we face the force against the kingdom of God, we live in a terrible culture where we think if we start to run into hardship or roadblocks against a word that God has spoken into our life, we think it's God closing the doors, as if he contradicts his own word that he speaks in to you, into your life. That doesn't make any sense, but he does purposely lead you into personal crisis because he's concerned about your heart. You see, that's a disciple thing. It's not, he's not chiefly concerned about your success. He's chiefly concerned about who you're becoming because you're his disciple, and so he purposely leads you into crises. (laughs) And that's what he did with this guy. He left him into such a crisis. And, you know, normally we would go, we would go, well, that can't be Jesus. Jesus is so loving. (laughs) He would never ruin a man's day like that. He's not going to ruin my day like this. This must be God closing the door. Yeah, I know he spoke a word over my life that I'm supposed to be doing this or I'm supposed to be going there. I, I do have that pervading sense of God calling me in this direction, but I'm seeing a lot of closed doors. It's not extremely convenient at the moment. It's starting to get a little hard, and so I think God must be saying we're waiting. We're waiting for another season coming into the future. You got it? Isn't that the culture we live in? Am I the only one who makes that error all too often? Now, I'm going to tell you something. The real Jesus is this Jesus. He leads us into crisis because he's developing disciples. He's developing people who can carry all the authority and all the power of the kingdom because we're actually a disciple. We're not going to take our eyes off of him. You can slam every door. You can set up every obstacle, and I'm not stopping because I only have one priority. If Jesus walks that way, I walk that way. If God spoke this word over my life, I don't care if it takes 30 years, <laughs> and I don't care what I have to do to overcome the forces of darkness that have always been against the kingdom. I don't even take it personal anymore. Do you know that it has, it is not even, it has nothing to do with you? It's not even that the enemy hates you. The enemy hates Jesus and his kingdom, the only reason he has any feelings for you at all is because you're a disciple of Jesus and you're following where he's going. So (laughs) let it go. Just know that, let that part go. Just know that discipleship, it really does have a cost. (laughs) And we live in a culture where we think that it shouldn't have a cost. Now here's the funny thing. Um, I'm getting the sense where it kind of sounds like I'm, I'm issuing a spanking or something. And you know what? I'm really not. That's really not what I'm doing because I want to tell you what I think one of the strategies of the enemy is. And, and that's where we're going in this series. I think a major strategy to shut down the disciples of Jesus is to cause us to miss him because we don't even recognize it's him. Okay, because we have preconceptions. And we're going to go through his actual ways for don't, some weeks or some months. I don't know. We're going to look at his actual ways. Who is he really? How does he disciple those that he's crazy about like you? He's crazy about you. (laughs) He loves that you're saved. But he really wants you to get up out of the gate and go follow him somewhere. Because that's the way he disciples. Come on with me. And if you pay attention to the words of the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus who who calls us all kinds of crazy places, places. And if you... If you pay attention, you're going to find out, I think, if you're anything like me, you're going to find out that many experiences in your life that you've written off or you did not recognize as Jesus was his extravagant love inviting you to an intimacy that you missed. You went off sad and you thought, well, maybe the word of God's been tabled in my life. Anybody? <laughs> Maybe it's not for this season. Well, you know what? It may not be for this season, but I want to tell you something. I believe that he is, he is cultivating a people that are like, well, I don't care if it's for this season or not. I value nothing above the sp- spoken word of God over my life. So if it's for 10 years from now, I sure am going to spend 10 years following him into that word, starting as hard as I can today. That's the opposite of our normal cultural viewpoint, even from within Jesus' own church right here, isn't it? See, what did he do with this guy? (laughs) A good rabbi does not, uh, no, let's do this. A good rabbi purposely sets up the disciple to grow in a hunger for what he wants to give. And I'm not, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about a disciple. I'm talking about someone who's already saved, someone who's already accepted him as, as the Lord, Savior, King, you're my rabbi. There is none other... <laughs> and you're going with him, now what does a good rab- rabbi do? He, a good teacher teaches as one with authority. He sets up situations that increase your hunger until your heart is actually ready to receive the gift he's trying to give. Are you following? And that, that's, what, let me go back. that's what he did with this guy. Do you see? That's what he did. He went away sad. Wow, what a crisis! And you might, you might be thinking, boy, you could really pick apart. If you go get your master's in theology or, or doctor of divinity, they would not teach you to do it this way. That would be a terrible. <laughs> I can't even think of the fancy word they used to use. That um, that would be a terrible teaching approach but it's exactly what Jesus does, and he's doing it with you. The next time you're, you, you feel incredibly upset with God, the next time you think that, um, that this could not possibly be, be, be God because I've learned and I know him to be very loving, <laughs> you might ask yourself, what is the barrier? What is Jesus trying to address in me? Why did he lead me to a crisis point? What are you calling me into that would be necessary to deal with this part of my heart? And I'm going to offer you this. I believe the more painful, the more powerful. The more wacky crazy it is, the harder it is to deal with. It means Jesus is going to the deeper place. He's going to the deepest place. He's taken care of the greatest barrier that you have to, to moving on from being a saved person to a disciple that moves into power. Somebody that, that does the most crazy, audacious, the scariest thing you'll ever do is follow him. <laughs> because he never, he never chooses carefully. Do you know why I say that? <laughs> he only follows the Father. He only does what the Father is doing. He only says what the Father says. And so the, the craziest, scariest, most audacious thing you're ever going to do in your life is follow Jesus' places. It's likely to completely tear you apart so you can end up in a place of wholeness. The real thing, instead of a fake wholeness. That your joy may be full. This is going to be a good series. I don't know if you guys are excited, but I'm already excited.